0: You are listening to the Teaching Ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. great weekend here at at Southwest as we've had uh, around 90 women participate in the Southwest Women's Retreat on Friday night and Saturday morning. And uh, it was, as you can see, it was a great turnout and we're encouraged by all the ladies that attended that. We're also encouraged at the end of the retreat, uh, Katie Fink made her decision uh, to surrender her life to to Jesus and, and uh, was, was baptized, and that was, uh, that was awesome. And so uh, I have to share, you know, I, I got a call uh, that Katie had made that decision and she'd asked that I come and, and be there. And so I was like, great, I, I want to witness it. And so I'm thinking it's a women's retreat, right? So the women are going to take care of everything. So I just kind of sneak snuck in and thought I'm going to sit in the back and nobody's going to notice me. And then I'll sneak back out and I can be here to support Katie. And then they said, well, you're going to say something, aren't you? And I said, like, "Well, I wasn't planning on it." And, then, and for the first time in a long time, I got real nervous because it's like I'm in a room full of women, and I'm like, "That's this is out of my comfort zone." So, uh, but uh, but we made it through, and uh, it was great to be able to see uh, Katie baptized into Christ. It's it's been so encouraging as we have seen um, God just open a number of hearts. On Easter weekend, we had three individuals that made decisions to be baptized into Christ and we rejoice with each one of them and we're encouraged to know that we have uh, another two people that have made that decision are going to be baptized today uh, following the second hour and they're going to be baptized at 1245 it's a father and a son are going to be baptized today and uh, Ed and Nick Kempf and so if you know Ed and Nick uh, you're welcome to come back at 1245 and witness their baptism, you know it's uh, it 's just really encouraging to see God at work and how God is working and opening hearts and people are responding uh, to jesus love and we're, our prayer is that more and more people will continue uh, to see their need to trust and follow Jesus, yet yeah, we want to make sure here at Southwest that that people aren't only initially making that decision to respond to the cross of Christ and and be baptized and begin that faith journey but we also want to help them continue to be obedient through their lives following Jesus and making disciples or influencing others to make that same decision which is our mission statement as a church so we thought it would be important following Easter uh, to talk about what it means to live that victorious Christian life, uh, not just to claim that victory when you begin that journey, but, but to live it out day after day, year after year. So during this series, we're going to be talking about the importance of of living out that victorious life and, and what does it mean? And maybe some of you walked in here today not feeling very victorious, but our hope Is And our prayer is that during this series that you'll get some insights of how you can experience victory in your life as well. And so um, be coming back future weeks, but be thinking of who you can invite to this series as well. With that said, let's pray and ask God to bless the rest of our time together. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for how you are at work in this church. We sense it. We, we saw the evidence of that over the weekend with the, the great crowd, the women's retreat. We're encouraged by a number of people that are making decisions and surrendering their life to, to you and to your son and, and, and your leadership in their life. And Father, we're, we're grateful. We're, we're just praising you for what you're doing. And yet, Father, we want to not only introduce people to Jesus, we want to help Help them live out what it means to be an obedient follower of Jesus. Help each of us learn what that means. And I pray, Father, that during this series that we can can lean into that and that you'll really speak to us from your word and speak to us from uh, maybe a surprising character to learn about how to live uh, a victorious Christian life. And so I pray, Father, that you'll just be at work in the rest of our time. Give me the words to say. I pray your spirit will uh, intervene and even make up for some of my uh, fobles or or misspeaks, but I pray, Father, that that in spite of all that, that that your word will ring through powerfully today. It's in Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, last week, Andrew Beal, our student minister, did a great job introducing this series, uh, and he talked about Uh, the character that we're going to be examining in the book of the Bible that we're going to be focusing on. And we're going to be looking at a fascinating, victorious leader named Joshua. Last week, we learned that Joshua received a mission from the Lord and from his mentor, Moses. And throughout this series, we're going to learn from Joshua how to live a victorious life. Now, some of you might think it's odd for us to look at an Old Testament character, somebody who lived before Jesus came to the earth, before the cross, of how to live a victorious Christian life. And yet, it's interesting that Joshua, in many ways, is a type of leader pointing to Christ. In fact, the name Joshua, which was probably pronounced Uoshua, means the Lord is salvation. In the book of Joshua, we, we see Yahweh, which is the name of the Lord. We we just see in our English translations of the Bible, the Lord, but it was probably originally his name was Yahweh, that he is the source of our victory. And Joshua's life points also to another Jewish leader who would come actually bearing the same name. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but but Joshua pointed to a a guy that would come uh, that had a Hebrew name that was pronounced in his day, Yeshua. We know him as Jesus. In a very simple breakdown, Joshua is the Hebrew name with the Greek equivalent, Jesus. So let's see what we can learn from Joshua about following Jesus. Jesus. As we begin this weekend's message, let's do a little more character development. I know Andrew developed his character a little bit, but let's revisit the the way this book begins in Joshua chapter 1, in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Now, I want to first dismiss the rumor here that Joshua had no parents, okay? When you hear he was the son of none, okay, that doesn't mean that he didn't have parents, okay? It's not N-O-N-E, it's N-U-N. Now, I know that's cheesy, and I knew that Andrew wouldn't say that joke because he's above that, but I'm not above going there. But uh, he was humble. He was a humble leader who had been willing to learn from a great leader, Moses, for some 40 years. And I believe that humility was, was demonstrated in Joshua's willingness to just serve as, as this verse says, as Moses' assistant. Some translations read Moses' aid. You see, that humility was a key ingredient to his faith-filled, victorious life. As was mentioned last week, Joshua was reminded to be bold, unwavering, and courageous. And Andrew spelled out how that meant quick to take action. And we see in chapter 2 that Joshua does exactly that. He takes action to lead the people into the promised land. In Joshua chapter 2, we read this in verse 1. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, Scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, Some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Now, before we dig into this fascinating and even somewhat risque exchange between the spies and Rahab, let's quickly make a comment which also more fully develops the character of someone else, the character of the Lord. See in Joshua, we, we we talk about how he was victorious, but the the true hero of the book of Joshua is is the Lord, and how the God of Israel was at work powerfully through Joshua and his leadership. God was at work powerfully to bring victory for His people, the Israelites. And now I know that some people, as they read sections of the Old Testament, books like Joshua, they struggle sometimes with some of these intense battle scenes. Maybe some of you even struggled with uh, our logo with being a sword. You know, being a guy, I I like action movies. I like war movies. A lot of times on my day off on Monday, I'll watch war movies, okay? Uh, I like that kind of action. I like old westerns. I, I like the wild sword-fighting movies. I mean, one of my favorite movies of all time is Braveheart, okay? William Wallace, you know what I mean? And, and just, I, I like those kind of movies. But yet, I know and I'm sensitive that some struggle with the fact that for the Israelites to occupy the promised land, that there had to be some people who needed to be displaced. And Joshua was commissioned by God to lead this effort. Now, if, if you've struggled at times with some of these passages in the Old Testament where we see God commissioning people to go and, and annihilate some people, Let me share with you a Bible verse that's helped me with that struggle. It's found in the very first book of the Bible. It's in Genesis 15. It's kind of an obscure verse that maybe some of you have never read or maybe you've just read over it. But it's actually a a verse where where the Lord is, is speaking to Abraham, the patriarch, okay, who was the ancestor of all the Jewish people. And in Genesis 15, we see that the Lord promises to Abraham that, that he and his descendants would eventually inherit the land that, that Abraham was traveling through at the time. It was the promised land. It had been promised for a long time. But let's read this verse in Genesis 15, verse 16, and see if we gain some insight. He, he, the Lord said, in the fourth generation, To Abraham, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. The Lord says, okay, Abraham, you're going to be able to eventually occupy this land. Your descendants will inherit this promised land. But not now, not for at least four generations, because he says the people that occupy it now, the Amorites, their sin has not yet reached its full measure measure. Now, interestingly enough, when you go back and read what led up to Joshua taking the promised land, we find out that a group of people, a people group that were living in the land that was promised to Israel were the Amorites. You see, for 400 years, God had been waiting for the right time for his people to take that land. And you see, if you go back and read, it, 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 on one hand, people say, well, I, I struggle with why God would commission these actions and some, uh, some of these uh, scenes that we read in Scripture and the annihilation of certain people groups. But then if you go back and look at how that God had been patient and long-suffering for 400 years... And when you research what was happening with some of these people groups, you find out that they were were practicing some very evil, terrible things, atrocious things, like even child sacrifices. And so on one hand, some people struggle, but if you look at the whole context, when I go back and look at that, I'm amazed with how patient God was. And finally, God says, I just can't take it anymore. I can't take the evil that's occurring in this land. And so it's time to wipe the slate clean and to start over with my people occupying the promised land. So hopefully that helps you or at least gives you something to think about. Well, let's get back to the spies and their interaction With Rahab. We see this risque character. Scripture tells us that she was a prostitute. Now, some in Christian history have tried to clean up her reputation. Some have said, well, the word then meant she was an innkeeper. I've researched this. I'm. Pretty certain she was a prostitute, okay? I mean, uh, other translations says she was a harlot. I mean, it's pretty clear. And even some of the language and the, the original language, I mean, it, there's kind of a, a play on words here to let you know, yeah, that's, that's who she was. She kind of had a risque past. And yet, interestingly, her character is later held up in the New Testament as an example of faith. So let's talk about what we can learn from Rahab about having this faith. We've entitled this a risque faith, but it's really a a biblical faith. In in fact, it it seems that in her faith in in the God of Israel, she's even willing to deceive her king, the king of Jericho, because she was willing to identify with the Lord and his people, the Israelites. Let's keep reading in verse 4. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier. See, when, when the king sent some people to inquire about this, I mean, she says, yes, the men were here earlier, but I, I didn't know where they were from. They, they left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I, I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof, roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road, looking, lo, uh, leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land lives is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know that what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed, no wonder our hearts melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. That's quite a powerful faith statement by this foreigner, this Jericho prostitute, Rahab. You see, Rahab, someone who even as we're reading this story, we recognize as an outsider who is willing to put her faith and trust in the God of Israel. Rahab puts her faith into action by hiding the spies, misdirecting the king of Jericho. And even though she has this risque past, she's willing to take, put her action into faith and serve as an example to us of what it means to have true biblical faith. You see, she had been won over to the God of Israel. She was impressed with his power and his greatness. And she's willing to make a, a proclamation that, that he has no equal. You know, we sang earlier in our, in our time of worship together in music, we sang together that, that Jesus Christ has no rival, no equal. I love the, those words. It was powerful. And very fitting for what we would talk about today because Rahab says she would got to a point where she said, listen, the God of Israel has no rival, no equal. He is supreme above all. She not only identifies with the God of Israel, but she later, Scripture tells us, identifies with the people of Israel. She becomes a part of Israel. Later in the Bible, we learn that she, in fact, becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David the greatest king in Israel's history. In fact, she's a direct ancestor. She's listed in the genealogy leading up to Jesus. God takes this outsider and draws her in and writes her into his unveiling story. Now, what can we take away from this? Well, there's several things I think we can take away from it. One is that God loves the outsider, which means that God's people need to love the outsiders, those that haven't yet identified with Christ, those who haven't identified with the God that we worship. He loves to grab the hearts of those who we would at least expect for him to be at work in, Over and over again, we see in Scripture that God chooses, He delights in being at work in those that we would least expect. He chose a couple, Abraham and Sarah, who couldn't have a baby, to be the father and mother of the Israelite people. He chose a man, Moses, who ran from Egypt to later turn him around to go back into Egypt to deliver God's people from slavery. He chose a fearful assistant, Joshua. You say, how do you know he was fearful? Did you remember how many times in chapter one the Lord told him, be strong and courageous? I'm kind of reading between the lines. I'm thinking it's because Joshua was nervous and fearful. But God chose a fearful assistant to courageously lead the people into the promised land. He chose a Jericho prostitute to teach us what raw faith is all about. And here's the interesting twist, more than a thousand years later, Jesus enters Jericho and he calls a crooked tax collector, a guy named Zacchaeus, to turn from his former way of life to become a Jesus follower. And from Zacchaeus, we learn what repentance is all about. You see, God is on record of showing that he loves to work through those whom we would Least expect him to be at work. Now, here's the question for you and for me What does God want to do through you? What does God want to do through me? You see, it doesn't matter what our past has been like, it doesn't matter how we've failed in the past. It doesn't matter what we've struggled with, maybe even in the present. God wants to rewrite our story and do something glorious in our future. Do we have the faith to believe that God, who's worked in people in the past, wants to work in our life too? Will you put your faith in a God who's honored, especially through people like Zacchaeus, Rahab, people like you and me that have risque things in our past, and yet he wants to do something different in the future. Now, with all that said, we learn a lot about faith from Rahab. We learn that God chooses the risque to write his story, but he also used Rahab to demonstrate a risky faith. Let's keep reading in verse 12 of Joshua 2. He says, now swear to me, Excuse me, this is, this is actually Rahab uh, speaking to the spies. Now, swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. Now, here's what the spies said. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, We will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, you see Jericho was this fortified wall and there were houses, apartments built in the very wall and that's where Rahab lived. She let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then when they have returned, you can go on your way. You see, it's, it's one thing to gather in a crowd with other believers and sing these great songs of faith and say, yes, I believe. It's one thing for, for Rahab to be gathered around these spies, these Israelites, and say, yes, I believe in your God. But it's another thing altogether. When Rahab took the risk to stand up to the culture around her, to the people who didn't believe in the God that she'd come to believe in. And that she was willing to put her faith into action, taking a risk of even being caught by the king of Jericho and the powers to be in that strong, fortified city. Now, as I read that and thought about that, I asked myself a question, and I want to ask you today. Are you being risky in living out your faith? I'm not asking you, are you willing to gather on a weekend? Maybe some of you ladies even take a whole weekend and go to a retreat and sing songs and hear messages and and be surrounded by other believers and say, yes, I believe, and yes, I want to serve God, and that's great. And We need those times of encouragement. But what about Monday at work, when you're encircled by people that maybe don't share your faith? Are you willing to stand up and be a spokesman for God then What about when you go to a family gathering and if if you're like me you've got some people in your family that aren't Jesus followers times and say yes I I believe in this I really do Are you willing to take a risk? Maybe there's somebody you've been praying for for some time that they will come to faith. Are you willing to take that risk and maybe open your mouth and talk to them about what a relationship with God means to you? What it means for you to be a follower of Jesus and how you want them to be one as well? About 1,500 years later, James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote these words about Rahab. In James chapter 2, he writes, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You see, it's one thing to say we have faith. It's another thing for us to put our faith into action, even when it's risky. And I want to suggest especially when it's risky. Is there a risky step of faith that maybe God's prompting you to take? Maybe for some of you, it's just the risk of saying, hey, I'm going to I'm going to investigate these claims of Jesus myself. I'm going to begin reading the Bible. I'm going to pick up one of those free Bibles in the lobby and start reading for myself. I'll take that risk to investigate and spend some time. Maybe for others that have come to the point where you believe, but maybe you've not really been putting your faith into action, getting involved in the life of the church. Maybe for you, God's prompting you to take that next step. I know when I was in college and I first started seeking God. I started by attending this church near the campus I attended and, and and you know, it really wasn't that risky to start going to church on Sunday mornings because the truth of it is most of the buddies I had in the dorm were sleeping in, so they didn't even know it when I got up and went to you know, went to church and a lot of times I'd get back home and they still were asleep, you know, so it really wasn't that risky. But then I got invited by the campus minister of this church I attended to go to a week week uh day Bible study in the dorm. He led it in the dorm and and I remember you know working up the courage to go to that Bible study because that was kind of like you know coming out a little bit on my faith there. And, and I remember walking down the hall to the Bible study, and I brought a Bible with me. That was before Bible apps. I mean, if, if I'd had a Bible app, I would just have it on my phone. I wouldn't have had to, you know, show so much. But back in those days, they weren't around. And so, so I remember carrying a Bible to this Bible study, and if I'd see somebody I'd know, I'd stick it behind my back, you know, because it was risky to go public. With my faith, maybe for some of you it's taking the risk of taking that next step and getting involved in one of our small groups, investing more of your time, living out your faith. Possibly for some of us it's having that talk with that, that longtime friend or family member that's not yet a Christian, or that person at work that you've been praying for. Are you willing to put your faith into action? Maybe for some, it's, it, you've been feeling that prompting from God to, to get involved in one of our ministries here or one of the outreach opportunities, and, and you've just not taken the risk yet to get involved. Maybe for others, it's in the area of giving. Maybe you've heard others here at Southwest talk about 10% tithing, and you think, but that's so risky to cut that check and trust that God will take care of me. Is God prompting you to put your faith into action in some new, bold way? Are you willing to take the risk that's involved in that? Well, Rahab demonstrated not only a risque faith, but also a risky faith, putting it in action. But we want to conclude with one more observation about Rahab. She had a rescuing faith, a rescuing faith. Let's, let's look in at verse 17. Before they left, the, the men told her, "'We will be bound by the oath we've taken only if you follow these instructions. "'When you come into the land, you must leave the scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down.'" And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. Skip on down to verse 21. I love this. I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. As we keep reading in Joshua, we find out that Rahab and her family were the only ones that were rescued from the destruction that eventually came to this fortified city. Why? Because she had a rescuing faith. If you think about it, the spies made a covenant with her. They said, if you lay down this robe, have this rope hanging down from your window, you will be rescued. We talk a lot about how that God's love is unconditional, and it is. God loves us regardless of how we respond or what we've done in the past or what we're doing in the present. God continues to love us. His love is unconditional. But it's important for us to understand that a relationship with God, a covenantal relationship, is conditional. God offers it freely. But it's conditional upon us accepting the terms of the covenant. Rahab said, I accept the covenant. And she followed through. You see, God has done this throughout history. When God initially led the Israelites from Egypt, he did it through 10 plagues he brought on Egypt. And the 10th and final plague was, was the death of the firstborn sons of every family. But, but God made a covenant with Israel. He says, if you take the, the blood of a Passover lamb and smear it over the doorposts, my covenant with you, if you do that, you will be rescued. The Jewish people still celebrate that. It's called the Passover. Rahab accepted the terms of the covenant. She leaves the scarlet rope hanging from her window, and she is rescued from the destruction that would later visit Jericho. Then we fast forward to the time of Jesus, and he invites us to a covenantal relationship for us to to look to Him and trust Him and His sacrificial death and to put our faith totally in Him, knowing that victory only comes in relationship with Him. I think it's interesting that in all cases, it had something to do with something that, which was red. The blood of the Lamb, the red cord, the red blood that was shed on the cross for us. And before Jesus died on the cross, he instituted a covenantal meal that we call communion or the Lord's Supper. You know, if you think about it, there's two faith acts God has left us that we can know for certain that we have that assurance of being in a relationship, a a secure, rescued relationship with Christ. One of them is baptism where we initially... uh, participate in the death, burial, and resurrection, trusting that that's what will save us, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then the Lord's Supper is that regular renewal of of our faith and, and time for us to be reminded of what Jesus did so that we could have a relationship with the Father. I don't know if you've thought about it, but this is a covenantal meal. And the good news is that no matter what our past, no matter what our present, if if we will accept the terms of the covenant, we can have certainty and confidence that we are in that secure relationship with God. Let's allow this time of communion to truly be a reminder of the covenant that God made with us through Jesus Christ and his death. And let's allow this time to be a time for us to examine our own hearts and lives and renew our covenant to him that we will put Jesus above all others and that we will follow him and put our trust in him every day. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for how throughout history we see you at work in some surprising ways. And, Father, you invite us to a relationship. And the question is, will we accept your terms? Thank you that Rahab accepted the terms. Help us now, in our generation, in our lives, accept those terms. Thank you that Jesus died for us. Help us put our faith totally and completely in him, not trusting our goodness, but trusting what he did for us on the cross. Help us look to him as we take this bread, reminding us of his body, as we take this cup, reminding us of his blood. Draw us ever closer to you, Lord, during this time. It's in Jesus' name our Savior, who's supreme above all. then we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings. Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and 11.15 a.m.